Creating a scene from a narrative summary is sometimes important to flesh out your novel or to dramatize events that readers really need to see on the page in order to fully understand. The problem is, how the heck do you do that in a way that moves the story forward and draws readers in? Well, if you stick around, I'm going to show you exactly how to do it. I'll show you how I took a bit of narrative summary in my novel and expanded it to a full scene. And this will help you do the same in your novel. Hello, and welcome to the Mini Worlds Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Davis. I'm a book coach, a developmental editor, and a fellow storyteller. And this is the podcast that's all about how to brainstorm, write, edit, publish, and sell a powerful speculative fiction novel, and maybe just change the world too. A few weeks ago, a storyteller on my list, I'm going to call her Isabella, emailed me with a problem she was having. She said, I have problems with too much telling. I need help writing in scene." So that got my wheels turning and I knew that I needed to make a couple of episodes about scenes. So the first episode I made about that, which was episode 10, the one that came just before this one, is all about the questions you need to ask yourself to decide if an event in your novel needs to be a scene. And then it goes through the 10 components of a full scene. So I highly suggest you go back and watch that one if you haven't already, because that will provide you a lot of valuable information that you'll need to fully understand this episode. And this episode is going to be so awesome because we are going to be looking at a scene from my work in progress novel, and I'm going to show you exactly how I took a narrative summary and expanded it into a scene. And I think watching a scene evolve this way and looking at the components that I added and exactly how I worked through it will be invaluable in helping you take narrative summary and expand it into scene as well. And you might need to do this for a lot of different reasons. One of those reasons could just be that you realized that the event in your novel really does deserve more page time, more real estate in your novel, because it's important. That's what happened to me. But it could also be because you realize that you tend to write in narrative summary and a lot of those events that are there just need to be dramatized. Like there are large swaths of your novel that need to go from narrative summary to full scenes. Whatever the case, this will be very helpful because we're not taking apart a scene from a published novel that's on the New York Times bestseller list. This is what I call a working scene. You're going, it's, it's kind of rough around the edges, but you're going to see how I added things in to make it better. So hopefully this will be really, really helpful for you. Okay, let's dive in. In order for you to understand the scene you're going to look at and what I need to add to that scene, I need to give you a little bit of context about the book that I'm writing. So this novel is speculative fiction. It's a dystopian fantasy. It's set in a secondary world, so it's not Earth, but it's kind of Earth-like in many ways. If you think about a futuristic world, maybe set 150 or 200 years from now. So it's like us, only a little bit more advanced in many ways. It is fantasy because I do include a big element of magic in here. So the world itself, it has a strict caste system. This is where the dystopian idea comes in. 
And at the very top, you have the God class people. Those are the emperor and his family. Then you have the elite class people. Those are like the nobles. Then you have the merchant class. Then you have the servant class. And this um, class of people, the are filled with a group called the Visari people. The Visari people were slaves at one point in this world, although a little over a hundred years ago in the world, they were freed, but they still are basically only servants and they, they have no, strictly no upward mobility. And, you know, they aren't allowed to shop in certain stores or go in certain places or mingle with the higher classes. And finally, all the way at the bottom, uh, you have the pariah class and these are mixed class people. So this is part of the way that they control the mobility of people, you know, making so if you if your child is a mixed class person, then they are actually the lowest class of person and they cannot hold jobs, they cannot live within city limits, none of that. Okay, so that's a little bit about the world. I need to tell you one more thing about the world and that's that of course there is magic. In this world, there is a type of magic called Nagis. And if you have Nodges, you are called a Nodrel. And the only people who have Nodges, who are Nodrels, are the Visari people. Not all of them have it, but some of them do. And it is considered dangerous and illegal. So that if it's found out that any Visari person is a Nodrel, then they will be executed. But not only that, their entire family will be executed because it's a genetic thing. And in order to control how many people have this, because we don't want any in this world to have uh, Nodges, they will kill the entire family lineage. So it's really, really bad to be found out that you are a Nodrel. Okay, so I think that sets you up pretty well for understanding the world. And now I just need to tell you a little bit about the character whose head you're going to be dropped into. The character is not my protagonist. He's kind of like my secondary protagonist, my co-protagonist, but he's, you know, he's the secondary one. And his name is Kel. He is the emperor's son. So technically he's God class. However, he actually is the illegitimate son of the emperor, although only a few people in the very inner circle of the family know that. So the world at large thinks he is, you know, going to be the next emperor, but the inner circle of the family knows that he's actually a mixed class person. So he's technically pariah class. His mother is a Visari woman and who actually is a a smuggler who takes other Visari people out of this empire, which is very uh, totalitarian, and she smuggles them north to a freer empire called the Nasseri Empire so that they can truly be free. So there you go. I know that's a lot, but it's important that you understand those things about this world in order to understand this scene at all. One more thing that you need to understand. Just prior to this scene, Kel, the emperor's son, had been sparring with his cousin, Elastar. And when they were sparring, emotions got heightened and Kel had Nodges bubble up from inside of him and attack his cousin. His cousin collapsed and is currently fighting for his life in a hospital because the magic can be very, very dangerous. Up to this point, Kel had no idea he, in fact, is a Nodrel. He did not know that. 
So you are dropping in to a scene where he's waking up after that happened. He doesn't know that he's a nodule yet. He does know his mother is a Visari woman. He's always known that. So he already knows he's technically pariah class, but he doesn't know he's a nodule. And this is where he's waking up and he's going to talk to his dad, the emperor, and all of that is going to be established. As you can see, if you're watching this on YouTube, I've pulled the file up here so you can see it as we go through it. However, if you're just listening to this, no problems at all. I'm going to read the whole thing to you anyway. All right. As we go through this scene, I would like you to notice that it is actually narrative summary. It feels a little bit scene-like because it's what I call a pseudo scene, meaning it's narrative summary that is designed to feel more scene-like. Okay, let's dive in. He woke up this morning in his own room, Baba at his side as though he were a very young child who had a high fever and needed to be watched closely. And while the surgeons operated on Elistar's brain somewhere deep in the city hospital, he had a hemorrhagic stroke, they said, and the bleeding needed to be stopped immediately. Baba told Kel the truth of everything. He, Kel, was a nodule. Baba, Nev, and Uncle Merrick had known since he was a toddler because it had burst out of him several times, killing two of Uncle Merrick's prize mastiffs. But then it had tapered off, disappeared entirely, and Baba had been absolutely convinced that it had cured itself because Kel was only half Visari. Kel hadn't had a single episode in well over a decade, until yesterday. Nodrel. Kel knew the word so well from Nev's stories. Nodrels, she once told him in a very conspiratorial tone, were very real, but not the monsters or demons that Marinians made them out to be. They were just people with exceptional abilities, and they were only dangerous when left ignorant of their own powers and how to control them. With true guidance, they had the capacity to be healers and guardians of their people, like they were in ancient times. Healers and guardians. Kel wanted to believe that so much. He kept saying the word over and over in his head, Nodril, 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 like the lyrics of a song. Don't worry, Baba murmured, gently stroking Kel's hair. I've already contacted an expert. She'll work with you to cure it once and for all. We will rid you of it, I promise. So that's where this little narrative summary about Baba telling Kel that he's a Nodril ends. And I had some big decisions to make here. So the decision I really had to make here was, do I leave this as narrative summary or do I expand it into a full scene? My reasoning for keeping it as narrative summary was I didn't want it to take up that much room. I had already written a lot of words. And of course, when you're writing, you always think, how am I going to ever write that many words? And then you start writing and you're like, oh my gosh, I have too many words. So I'm always cognizant of that, that I only have a limited space. However, there's the other part. Does it need to be a scene? You know, is it important enough to be a scene? So there are three standard questions I ask myself when I'm trying to make that decision. And there's an, a fourth honorary question that I ask that I didn't go over in last episode. So the first question I ask myself is, does this event touch the plot and move it forward? And 
The answer to that in this case is absolutely right. This is a huge moment for Kel plot-wise. He's figuring out he is a nodule, which means if anyone found out, that could, God knows what happened, right? Um, would they kill the emperor's family? He doesn't know. Um, also, it means there's this dangerous thing inside of him that could hurt someone like he did with his cousin. So there's this all of this unknown stuff there for him now. The same reason why when we get to question two, it's a yes. Um, it's does the event touch the character arc of the point of view character? And yes, absolutely. It is forcing him along his character arc, which is for him really coming into his own and accepting responsibility for who he is and what he does. So it is pushing him towards that. The third question is, do we see something changing? When the reader reads the scene, is something fundamental changing such that when the character moves through the scene, they can never go back to what they were before? Even if it's subtle. Now, in this case, it's a big one, but it can be a really subtle one. And the answer is yes. Once Cal finds out this information, this is a big moment of change for him. He can never go back to what he was before. He will now and forevermore be a nodule who has dangerous magic inside of him. Okay, the honorary fourth question, and I think it's actually a super important one. Does the event need to be on the page in order to be understood by the reader? And this is the one that really pushed me from keeping this as a narrative summary into making it a full scene. Because Yes, the reader, in order to fully understand Kel and his reaction to this, they need to see it on the page. Okay, decision made. This event needs to be a full scene. Now, what I had to do was take the narrative summary that I had and expand it using the 10 components that I know belong in a full scene. I'm going to quickly go over those 10 components, but if you start feeling a little bit lost, please, please, please go back and watch episode 10. I fully explain all 10 components. All right, component number one, uh, I need a strong hook, a beginning, a beginning to the scene that kind of draws people in. Number two, I need contextual information. I need to provide the reader with the who, what, when, where, why of the scene so that they feel fully grounded in the moment. They know where they are physically, they know where they are temporally, and they get an idea of where the character is psychologically and emotionally. Okay, number three, the point of view character needs a scene goal. So we need to understand like what it is they want out of this scene. These can be active scene goals or passive scene goals. Active scene goals are ones where they're really pursuing something directly. And passive are those goals where you almost feel like they don't have a scene goal because in order to achieve it, a lot of times they are not acting. <laughs> anyway, again, if that is confusing to you, go back and watch episode 10. Number four, we need to include action and dialogue. These are the hallmarks of a scene. In fact, these are the things that allow a reader to understand, in fact, that they are reading a scene. Dialogue is something that readers will scan your book for sometimes and kind of skip your narrative summary. I know it's a terrible thought, but sometimes they will. Number five, we need an inciting incident. The inciting incident within a scene is something that kicks the scene off, that makes the scene happen. And 
the inciting incident can be more of a global inciting incident, which kind of happened maybe before the start of the scene, or it might be a scene-specific inciting incident that really happens right there in the scene itself. Number six, we need progressive complications. So once the inciting incident happens and the character is pushed out of their uh, normal world, what they wanted to do in this scene, and they're confronted with something else, then uh, we need to complicate and escalate the situation. That's where we get the delicious tension and suspense. Number seven, we need a pivotal moment. A pivotal moment is the thing in the scene that you need to be 100% clear on before you write the scene. The pivotal moment is why we're there. What is it that the reader actually needs to see? Why is this scene being included in the novel to begin with? Number eight, we need a decision. Typically, the point of view character is going to make some kind of a decision, big or small, after the pivotal moment, after the progressive complications, they're going to decide something and then they're going to act on that thing. Sometimes their decision is not to act on anything. Number nine, we need an outcome, right? What happens because of the pivotal moment and the decision, what's going to occur? And then finally, we need a strong scene ending. And again, it doesn't have to be anything fancy or elaborate, but it's something that kind of drags the reader forward and makes them want to go to the next scene instead of just closing the book and going to sleep for the night. So those are the 10 components of a full scene. And you will see those represented in the new scene that I've written for this event in my novel. But you don't just want to include the 10 components of a complete scene. You also want to add a little bit of extra stuff in there. You want some frosting, you want some whipped topping, you want that cute little maraschino cherry on top. You want to add some things to help make sure your scene is vibrant and that readers really connect with your character and want to keep reading. So there are six techniques that you can use to make sure that every scene is vibrant. The first technique is to make sure that you are bringing in the senses. Sight, sound, touch, taste, all of your senses, smell, you want to bring those in in a meaningful way. So you don't want to just dump the senses onto the page, but you want to throw one or two of them in here or there as they enhance the scene. Number two, you want to bring in body language. Body language is really important because we often can't control our body language and very often it will tell maybe a different tale than what we are saying. It can help the reader decode how a character is feeling without always having to tell the reader exactly how the character is feeling. They can intuit it from the body language. Number three, we need to bring in conflict. Conflict is when two characters kind of want different things. They have different goals, different agendas. It doesn't have to be big. They don't have to be in an argument or anything like that. But if they have slightly different goals, then we begin to feel that friction between them and it leads to the feeling of tension and readers love tension. It also leads to the feeling of suspense. Suspense is when we don't know what's going to happen next because these characters are in conflict and there is tension. So that makes us 
unable to know exactly what's going to happen next. Readers love it. Number four, you need to bring in your point of view characters' interiority. Interiority is literally their internal world. It's their thoughts, their feelings, what they're afraid is going to happen, what they think is going to happen, all of that. Number five, you need to bring in your point of view character's backstory. You don't want to info dump it. You want to grind it up and sprinkle it in like pepper or like breadcrumbs. The idea is you want to drop little clues and hints and as the point of view character moves through the scene. This is how you make sure that the scene and the novel feels rich and textured and it feels real. Because the truth is, whenever we are faced with a situation as real people, we always bring in our history, what we know to be true, our own backstory, when we're making decisions, when we are evaluating events. And your point of view character is no different. This is how we really help the reader to connect with the character through backstory, through interiority. Number six, you need subtext. Subtext is when what's being said on the surface or done on the surface doesn't really match with what's happening underneath. So basically a situation is a little bit more complicated than it first seems. You can have tons of subtext in that there are having an argument about the dishes, but the reader knows that it actually has nothing to do about the dishes. It's about an affair one of them is having, right? That's a lot of subtext. But it can also be subtle where sometimes a character isn't saying what they actually mean or doesn't really mean what they say, or there are just many more layers to it. There are some things that are being left unsaid. Okay, so subtext is just how people talk because Mostly, we're not super upfront about our thoughts and feelings. Usually, there's more to it. There's stuff that we're holding back. And your point of view character is exactly the same way. Okay, as we go through the scene, you'll notice that I've added inline comments to show you exactly what component of the scene you're looking at. I will be reading the scene to you and talking about the components of the scene as we go. If you want this scene as sort of a study scene or you just want to read it without all of my interruptions, you can find this as well as all of the other scene workbooks at manyworldswriting.com forward slash scene. And I do encourage you to go pick that up. I think I give you a lot of really good tools there. Okay. Let's dive into the revamped scene. When Kel awoke some hours later, he lay in his own bed with Baba gently rubbing his hair like he was a very little boy with a high fever. Okay, so this is the opening line and it serves several purposes, actually three purposes right off the bat. The first one is it's the in-scene inciting incident. Baba comes in and rubs his hair and wakes him up. And this sort of kicks the scene off. It makes Kel forced into this situation where he finds out new information. The second thing is that this sentence provides important contextual information. We find out a lot from this scene. We find out that Kel is the POV character, that Baba is with him, that they're in Kel's room, and that several hours have passed since the event where Alistar was injured. 
So what this does is it really grounds the reader in the moment and prevents them from feeling confused. So you always want to give this type of contextual information. It doesn't have to be in your face. It doesn't feel like I'm trying to info dump the context there. It just kind of feels like a natural starting sentence. But I do weave all of that in so that the reader feels grounded. The third thing that this sentence does is it serves as the hook. And where that hook part comes in is the last half of the sentence in that I say Baba was gently rubbing his hair like he was a very little boy with a high fever. What I want to do is let the reader know that Baba is really worried about Kel and about this whole situation. Because when parents watch their kids who have fevers, it's because they're worried about the fever spiking and they're worried something terrible is going to happen. So Baba has been similarly worried about Kel. So hopefully it's making the reader realize that there's something to worry about. All right, let's keep going. For a moment, Kel just lay there feeling slow, disoriented, and disconnected from everything. His curtains, normally open to the gardens behind the house, were closed tight so it was impossible to know if it was day or night. He felt like he had a fever. What happened with Elastar was just an awful dream, Kel thought. I must have cried out in my sleep. Baba came to check on me. Okay, so here I'm providing interiority. I'm allowing Kel to tell the reader what he thinks is happening. He thinks maybe it's just a mistake. Maybe he dreamed it all. But then he saw Baba's expression pinched and dark, and the reality of it flooded back. So with Baba's expression being pinched and dark, I am throwing in body language so that Kel can understand something. So he's picking up on something that Baba isn't saying. That's also subtext, right? He's reading the subtext of the situation. Thank the gods, Baba whispered. You've been asleep for nearly 15 hours. Elastar, Kel forced himself into a sitting position. Is he okay? So this is establishing Kel's scene goal. His scene goal is an active one. He wants information. So throughout this scene, you will see him constantly trying to get information. And what you'll notice is that his scene goal modifies slightly as he goes. Like when he finds out how Elastar is, it will modify into something else. But it really is always after this information. And it's okay if your point of view character's scene goal modifies. That means that you are really staying true to what would happen in a situation. As we find out more things, our goals change. That's perfectly okay. All right, let's keep going. Baba's lips turned down. He's in surgery. The very best doctors in the empire are treating him. Surgery? Kel stumbled out of bed, blinking uncontrollably, flicking his fingers over his thumbs again and again, moaning persistently in his throat. What? What did I do to him? Okay, this is where the progressive complications start. So up until this moment, all he knew was that Elastar collapsed. He had no idea. He was in surgery. So now things are ramping up. They are escalating and complicating. Oh, there was one more thing I had to tell you. Kels, he's blinking uncontrollably and he's flicking his thumbs over his fingers or his fingers over his thumbs. And the reason that he's doing this is because he has a tick disorder. This is modeled from my son who also has a tick disorder. And what I really wanted to do with Kel was to make sure that I didn't write your 
typical emperor's son, right? The kid who was suave and who everybody liked and who was good at everything. I wanted to write a more realistic character and I thought he would be far more interesting if he wasn't that kid. If he was the kid with the tick disorder, the kid who was made fun of, the kid who didn't really fit in. So all of these things come into play with Kel's character. Okay, it's been deemed a sudden cardiac arrest brought on by a seizure. Baba exhaled, taking Kel's hand and squeezing it gently. But it wasn't your fault, Kel. It was only a terrible accident. It was so my fault. Kel snatched his hand away. I just don't know how. Oh, Kel, Baba sighed. I thought it was gone. I thought... I told you the boy wasn't right. I told you there was only one sensible thing to do. What's in italics there, what I just read, was actually something that his, Kel's uncle Merrick said after Elastar collapsed. So now Kel is starting to think back, so I'm bringing in his backstory. He's starting to think back, and he's putting the puzzle pieces together that, wait, Baba think, thought what went away? Wait, Uncle Merrick said uh, something was wrong with me. Okay, so he's starting to piece these things together, and I'm just allowing him to do it on the page so the reader can see it and experience it. You thought what was gone? Kel's voice dropped to a whisper as he searched Baba's face for answers. When you were little, Baba said, as though he'd planned to start at some benign place and slowly build to this moment. Just say it, Kel yelled. He didn't mean to yell. He never once yelled at Baba in his whole life, but right now he just couldn't deal with Baba's infuriating habit of talking around things like a savvy politician. He just wanted a simple and understandable answer. Again, I'm bringing in backstory. I'm telling you a little bit about how Baba normally is. He's a politician, right? And Kel is kind of done with that politician talk right now. So just a little, just little nuggets, just dropping those in. All right. Baba closed his eyes and nodded. You're a nodril. I'm a what? Kel whispered. He knew the word, of course, knew the rumors that Vasari people were sometimes arrested or killed for being nodrils, but he never actually believed that nodrils were real. They were creatures of myth, not reality. Still, the moment Baba said it, Kel understood that it was true. He had felt the power build in him like a wave, like an unstoppable thing that grew and grew and grew. It was a part of him like an arm or a leg, but totally uncontrollable, like a heartbeat or a hiccup. It was in every cell of his body, yet hovering over him like a heavy cloak. Baba sat perfectly still, not trying to fill the silence with explanations like he usually did. Instead, he let the quiet linger as Kel turned things over in his mind. Finally, after felt like what felt like a long time, Kel sat down next to Baba on the bed and looked over at him. Am I a nodule because of Nev? he asked. Baba nodded. Yes, the Visari are the only ones cursed with Nodges. So just to remind you, Nev is actually Kel's mother. She's a Visari woman. She comes from the servant class. And we're getting a progressive complication because he's asking... Is it because my mother is Visari? Is that why I have this? And we're also getting a progressive complication because now we know Baba's view on being a nodule. He doesn't say because you were born a nodule or because you were blessed with nodules. He says because you were cursed with nodules. So we immediately know how Baba feels about it. It's a negative, right? He doesn't like it. Cursed. Kel turned that word over in his mind. 
It felt sharp and painful, like a square explanation for a round truth. Nodril. He knew the word so well from Nev's stories. Nodrils, she once told him, when they were tucked in the large hollow of a sycamore tree overlooking the northern mountain passes, weren't the demons or monsters Marinians made them out to be. They were just people who were born different. They're only dangerous when no one teaches them how to control what's inside of them. With guidance, they have the ability to be the healers and guardians of their people, like they were in ancient times. So what I'm doing is, again, I'm bringing in backstory. Um, I'm bringing in some memories with Kel and his mom, so we kind of know how Nev views being a nodril. So she and Baba are completely disagreeing on what this is. And so, of course, now we know that Kel is sort of caught in the middle. Who is he going to believe? Is he going to believe it's a curse or that he could be a guardian or a healer? At the time, he thought Nev was only recounting Visari lore to entertain him. But now he wondered if she was trying to explain something important to him, something she was afraid to say directly. Guardians and healers, she said, not monsters. Kel repeated the word, nodril, 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 over and over in his head, feeling the texture of it like he might rub a new fabric between his fingers to test it for compatibility with his skin. When did you know what I am? Kel blinked and blinked and blinked, groaned deep in his throat, rocked on his toes. Again, we're seeing his ticks. His body felt like a spring that might let loose at any moment. You were just a toddler, Baba said. The thing inside of you killed one of Uncle Merrick's prize mastiffs when the dog jumped up and knocked you down. Killed? Kel pressed his hands over his face, forcing himself to breathe deeply even as acidic panic rose in the back of his throat. No wonder Uncle Merrick always seemed so cautious of Kel, so watchful, so mistrustful. I killed the dog? So this is a progressive complication. Now he knows that he's had this thing inside of him that can kill. So this makes him, of course, even more worried about Elastar and what's happening there. Baba nodded, which is exactly why Nev and I decided it was best to keep you away from other children for as long as possible. School seemed too risky in those early years. Private tutors much safer. Wait, that's why you never sent me to school? I thought it was because of this, Kel said, motioning to his blinking. He almost laughed. He had been so certain it was because of his tics, so absolutely convinced. But why didn't you just tell me the truth? I could have been more careful. I could have just stayed away from Elastar. Okay, so in this case, I'm showing you more interiority of this misunderstanding that Kellis had all these years. So his father has always kept him away from people, and he thought it was because he was an embarrassment. And now he's coming to find out, no, it's actually because he has dangerous magic. Because. Baba took a deep breath and pressed his lips together. For the first time ever, Baba looked almost haggard. Because I thought it went away. After all, it only happened the once, for God's sake. I assumed since you were only half, Baba didn't finish, couldn't finish, but Kel knew what he meant, half Marinian, half Vasari. You thought since I'm pariah that I didn't have enough Vasari blood in me to make me a real nodril. You thought the power wouldn't last, Kel said quietly, watching his fingers slide over his knuckles instead of looking at Baba. Baba never used the word pariah. To say it out loud would be admitting what Kel really was. It would be admitting that Kel had no right to inherit the Empire, no right to live in the Rashna Villa, 
no right to live in the city of Zankori, no right to even bear the Rashanan name at all. So again, I'm bringing in backstory in the form of context and memory here, um, letting you know what all of this means, like the idea that he is actually pariah and that he'd always sort of misunderstood some things. Don't say that word. Baba's voice turned stern and almost unrecognizable. He was more stressed than he was letting on, and somehow that made Kel's own nervousness hover closer. Kel shrugged. It's what I am, whether you like the word or not, Baba. I'm the bastard son you passed off as the real son. And now I'm not only a pariah, but also a nodule. You are the Miri Kazar, Baba insisted, taking Kel by the shoulders and staring into his eyes as though he were begging Kel to keep playing along with the farce. Giving you this life is everything we've worked for since you were a baby. Only because no one knows what I really am, Kel said, blinking away the tears that were stinging at the edges of his eyes. Gods, I mean, look what I did to Alistar. He's my best friend, and I nearly killed him. I... Baba pulled Kel suddenly into his arms and kissed the top of his head fiercely. You are nothing but my beloved son. That's what you are. And when Alistar recovers, you can begin the treatment you need to put this whole damn thing behind us. So this is a progressive complication. Baba just said treatment. Okay. Treatment? Kel pulled back slightly. Baba sounded so definitive, so sure. What kind of treatment? There was a long pause. There's a doctor in Nassery, a neurologist. I contacted her last evening after what happened, Baba said finally, shoulders relaxing like just the mention of the doctor was a potent anxiety reducer. She's excellent, you know, top in her field, and she's had experience with, with your condition. She's even developed a robust therapy that's shown great promise in ridding people of the affliction. She's very discreet, you know, and more than excited to be in working with you. We'll call your affliction a brain tumor. No one will be the wiser while you're in treatment. So now, again, more progressive complications. He's finding out more about this treatment. Treatment. Therapy. Kel wasn't sure why, but the words twisted his stomach. What kind of treatment? Does it matter? Baba snapped, frustration suddenly grinding the edges of his voice. You nearly killed your cousin. Whatever the treatment, we'll take it if there's some possibility to you to, for you to finally be normal. Normal, Cal flinched. Whether or not he was a nodule, he would never be normal. You're right. It doesn't matter, Cal whispered. Can we go to Elistar now? I want to be in the hospital when he gets out of surgery. So this is Kel's decision. He's taken in all the information. Um, the pivotal moment happened, and now he's making a decision. I want to go see Elistar. Baba shook his head. It's better if we remain here for now. Kel opened his mouth to protest, but Baba had that stubborn look about him. He'd made his decision, and he would not be swayed. It was just as well, anyway. There was still an aching exhaustion deep in Kel's body, and every move he made felt slow and heavy. Besides, he wasn't sure he wanted to face Uncle Merrick yet, to see that look of blame. So again, we're seeing Kel making a decision. He's not going to fight Baba's decision that he shouldn't go to see Elistar. Kel nodded and lay back down on his bed, turning away. I'll sleep a bit more then. So... 
He's making another decision. He's getting in bed. He's kind of ending the conversation right here. He's turning away. Like conversation over. Kel, Baba began. There was a moment of silence that seemed heavy, like Baba wanted to say something more, something important, but he didn't know exactly how to start. Not wanting to hear anything else at all, Kel pulled the blanket over his entire body, hiding from Baba's words as much as the unrelenting, worried gaze that felt warm against his back. So he's made his decisions, and here's the outcome. He's, you know, he's under the covers. The conversation is ending. There's not going to be any more for now. Finally, Baba sighed, clearly giving up for now. Yes, get some more rest. I'll check on you after I get some things sorted out. We'll talk more then. Okay, so this is the scene ending. It's a strong scene ending because, first of all, it's rolling directly into something that happens next. We stay in the same room with Cal, and he gets up and calls his mom. Um, But by saying, we'll talk more then... It hopefully is giving the reader a hint that there is more to talk about, that Baba has more to say. Okay, so that is the scene with all of the components broken down. Okay, writers, I know that was super long, but I hope it was also really, really helpful for you to see a scene that's in progress. So what I read to you today, it still has typos in it. It still has some modification that it's going to undergo. It might not be the exact same scene that's in the final draft of my novel, but it really does show how I took narrative summary and expanded it into a full scene. And I tried to break down all of the components of a scene that I put in there, plus all of those extra little techniques that you can use to make a scene vibrant. And hopefully you can then start to use these same things in your own scenes to make them even better and draw readers in even more. If you think that having um, those scenes with my inline comments would be helpful, plus the workbook from last week, you can go ahead and find that at manyworldswriting.com forward slash scene. You can also find that link right in the show notes. And if you found this episode helpful, please like and subscribe to this podcast. Follow it, share it with a friend, and please, 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 please rate it. Because the more ratings I have, uh, the more writers will hear this podcast. And I would really love to help as many writers as possible. So until next time, keep writing, keep dreaming, and remember, the world needs your stories right now. So don't you dare give up on your novel or yourself. See ya.